0: Hello, travelers. Welcome to Day Trips, our weekly shorter episodes of Terrifying Travels, where either Sabrina or I share with you one more story from a location we have covered before. My name is Maddie, and today I'm taking you back to Mississippi to talk about the case of Jessica Chambers. Let's dive into it. Now, being from the area, I, of course, have heard of the story of Jessica. I remember really specifically my mom telling me about it when we were in the car and kind of using it as a cautionary tale, saying to always let someone know where you are or what you're doing, so things like this don't doesn't happen. Granted, my mom is a smidge paranoid. So this case is pretty good for a solar episode, but I will warn you, it is very dark and depressing, so trigger warnings in full effect. Listener discretion is advised, so let's go. So who was Jessica? Jessica was just like any other Mississippi girl, God-loving, family-oriented, down-to-earth kind of girl. She was a former cheerleader at South Pandola High School and just graduated from the same high school the previous year before she was murdered. Jessica's sister described her as athletic and outgoing and said that Jessica wanted to become a nurse, a dentist, and a writer. Her sister said she was happy all the time, she made everyone laugh, she lit up the room, she was just full of life. Looking at all the Facebook pages that have been made for her, she was a kind and caring girl, incredibly sweet, and always helped her friends and family. If you want to know more about Jessica as a person, I'll put a link to the most popular Facebook page, Justice for Jessica, somewhere in the show notes. Now let's talk about where this happened specifically the town of Cortland, Mississippi. It's a tiny, tiny town. Like, Cortland sits between Batesville, the biggest town nearby, and my grandmother's town, and we used to say, if you blink, you miss it, and it's so true. According to the 2010 census, there were only about 500 people living in Cortland, and actually, in 1946, it was downgraded to a village. So it's technically a village rather than a town. In true Southern fashion, though, there are two Baptist churches and one Methodist church in town, as well as a fire department and a post office. But other than that, there's not much else in this town. This is the kind of town that people went to to get away from the bigger cities, but had to commute to get to work and stuff. Everyone knew each other, everyone knew the neighbors, everyone knew each other's business and what everyone was doing. So now that we've established who Jessica is and what the town is like, let's get into the timeline of this case. The day is December 6th, 2014. Jessica was spending most of the day with her two friends, driving around town and just relaxing. Then she left her friends and went to her mom's house, where her mom said she took a nap and was with the family. At around 5.30 p.m., Jessica tells her mom that she's going to get something to eat and to clean out her car. There was surveillance video of her outside a gas station, where she filled up her car with gas. She then went to Batesville, but was back in Cortland by 6.30 p.m. Jessica called her mother around 6.45, who noted that the car was really quiet. The next hour and a half were unclear until 8.15 p.m., when a passing motorist found Jessica on the side of the road, burning next to her Kia Rio. Jessica had been found next to her car, her body doused in flammable liquid. The liquid had been poured on her body, up her nose, and down her throat. Jessica's body was 90% burned, but she was still alive when responders got to her. According to responders, Jessica stumbled up to them, her body still on fire. The responders got out and asked her, Who did this to you? Jessica responded with Eric or Derek. The responders quickly rushed Jessica to the hospital in Memphis where they attempted to treat her injuries, but unfortunately, she would not survive her injuries and died later the next morning. On December 7th 2014. Now I know I left that timeline very vague but now I'm going to tell you the exact timeline that investigators got from Jessica's and the potential suspects cell phone records. Let's talk about the potential suspect first though. Investigators do believe that they tracked down Jessica's killer who is Quinton Tellis. Quinton was born in Cortland Mississippi the same town as Jessica he was 26 years old in 2014. From his Facebook post, he thought himself as religious and that he loved his mother, wife, and siblings. From 2006 to 2014, Quentin was convicted of one, fleeing from police officer, and two, two different burglaries. He was released on probation on October 2014. Quentin and Jessica were friends and Supposed lovers Their cell phone records show that they were together Before the murder And texts were a few days before the murder too So let's break down this timeline With Quentin in the picture Huge props and 100% credit to Claire on Ledger, the Mississippi newspaper That held all these times and dates I'll include a link to the article in the show notes December 2nd, 2014 Jessica went to the emergency room For some medicine Quentin accompanies her December 3rd. Quentin texts Jessica asking for sex, saying, I'm horny, to which Jessica says, Oh Lord. The conversation continues, and Jessica kills the conversation by saying that Quentin's moms and sisters are home and would freak out if Jessica went there while they were there. December 4th. Jessica now has a broken phone screen, so the conversations are a little more garbled, but Quentin texts her again, I'm horny, to which Jessica responded, responds again, oh lord. So it's pretty clear that these two were maybe romantically or sexually involved with each other. But they were not dating because Jessica actually had a boyfriend at the time, Travis Sanford. But Travis was cleared as a suspect because he was currently in prison during the murder. They thought that maybe the boyfriend put a hit on her but detectives believed that he didn't because his grief about her passing was so genuine. Onwards with the timeline. December 5th, Jessica texts Quentin, asking for some money to get some food. He responds with a sexual proposition. Jessica says that she only needs $6. Then there's surveillance videos at a gas station where Quentin walks across the street to Jessica's car and then back to his driveway. And now we're on the day of December 6th, and it gets broken down hour by hour where cell phone tower pinks. I'm going to skip some of these hours just because it's not really necessary for this podcast episode but this is about to paint a different picture of the day compared to the first timeline 8.55am Quentin is at a gas station getting breakfast 9.01am Jessica wakes up and sends some text she is at her home 10.04am Jessica calls Quentin The call lasts 69 seconds. 10.08 a.m., Jessica is at the gas station making a purchase. 10.09 a.m., Quentin texts Jessica, I'm ready. 10.10 a.m., Jessica is on camera at the gas station talking to two people. No one else is with her. She leaves and pulls into Quentin's driveway. They go south on US-51. 10.15 to 10.47 a.m. They're driving on some Cortland back roads. Jessica called her friend at 10.18 and at 10.33, and they picked her up at some point in these 30 minutes. 10.49 a.m. Jessica drops off Quentin at the gas station. Jessica and her friends leave. 11.05 to 5.29 p.m. Jessica is at home. Quentin is texting her saying, I need you. Jessica responds, what you need. Quentin says, some lovin'. And Jessica responds, oh lord, can't. 2.21 to 4.23 p.m., Jessica's phone is silent. Jessica's mom said that she was taking a nap. 4.23 p.m., Quentin calls and wakes Jessica up. Quentin's phone is showing him at home. 4.59 p.m., There's a 33-second conversation between Jessica and Quentin. Jessica tells Quentin via text that she'll go get something to eat with him if he'll pay for it. She's also trying to reach out to her friend from earlier. 5.20 p.m. Quentin calls Jessica and she doesn't answer. She calls him right back. This is where the surveillance video at the gas station shows Jessica at the gas station getting gas and making a purchase. It's 5.24 to 5.30 p.m. 6 p.m. Jessica's phone shows that she's on her way to Batesville. 6.04 to 6.11 p.m. Cell phone towers indicate that she was at Taco Bell, while Quentin admitted that they ate dinner there. Jessica is still trying to reach out to her friend. 6.30 p.m. Cell phone towers show that they arrived back in Cortland. Quentin told investigators that they went back to his house and that they were smoking marijuana in Jessica's car during this time. 6.48 p.m. Jessica makes her last call to her mother. The call lasts 76 seconds. Jessica's bomb told investigators that there was no background noise and no music, leading her to believe that Jessica was with someone. Quentin admitted that him and Jessica were together. 6.49 to 7.26 p.m. Neither Jessica nor Quentin are using their phones, even though five women are trying to reach Quentin at this time. 7.30 p.m. Jessica's cell phone pings west, and then it pings to Heron Road, where she would be found, burned. 7.42 p.m. Quinton calls Jessica and leaves a voicemail. Then he sends her a text saying, Bae, my friend is coming over tonight. I'll call you tomorrow. Good night, sweet dreams. Quentin told investigators that he was letting Jessica know that his girlfriend was coming over to his, but... When the investigators asked if the girlfriend could confirm his alibi, he changed his story and said that it was not his girlfriend, but another girlfriend that he was talking about. Plus, around this area, there is a cut-through trail that leads from where Jessica was found to a subdivision where Quentin's sister lives and Jessica's car keys would be found along that cut-through. 7.50 to 7.52 p.m. A vehicle can be seen on the gas station video camera pulling into Quentin's driveway to a storage set. Quentin told the FBI that he kept a 5-gallon gas can in the shed for emergencies. Unfortunately, neither the driver nor the tag of the car can be seen. 8.04 p.m. Jessica's phone shuts off with investigators saying that it burned too hot. 8.07 p.m. Phone call made to 911 by the motorist who can see the burning car and call it in. And that is the full timeline of Jessica's day of her murder. Again, Jessica was burned alive, with 90% of her body burned. The fire was so hot that her contact lenses melted into her eyes. She was burned beyond recognition, and later died in the hospital the following morning. So, take a deep breath, now knowing our timeline. Let's talk about the trial. Or, should I say, the lack of a trial. In February 2016, Quentin was a suspect in her murder. There was really strong evidence against him, the most obvious one being the cell phone records that we went through earlier. Quentin also deleted a ton of these text conversations saying that, quote, he didn't see any reason to keep her in his phone if she was dead, unquote. In October 2017, the first trial ended in a mistrial. Apparently, there was some confusion in jury instructions. A quote from the Clarins Registrar, The instructions said that a guilty verdict had to be unanimous, but didn't directly say about a not guilty verdict. Officials said it appeared the jury thought that since they couldn't unanimously decide that Quinto was guilty, that made him not guilty. So, since it's a mistrial, they do another trial a year later in October 2018. And it, again, ends in another mistrial. I think it's because a lot of the jury believed Jessica's last words to the responders. That her killer's name was Eric or Derek, which didn't fit Quentin. But doctors even testified there was no way that Jessica could have said any words at that point. So it's unclear why there was a mistrial the second time. But Quentin is actually waiting to go on trial for another murder case in Louisiana. Quinton was indicted on 2019 on a second-degree murder charge of the death of Ming-Chen Xiao. She was found dead in her apartment in 2015 near the ULM campus, supposedly stabbed to death. He was found using her credit cards, and after his second trial in Mississippi, he was sent to Louisiana to get tried. And actually, the trial date was set for August 1st, 2022. Now, I've been sitting on this story for a hot minute. I wrote this back in the summer of 2022, and there have actually been some updates. Firstly, Quentin is no longer being tried in Louisiana, and this is because he's currently serving a sentence in prison for burglary. That's right, he's in prison now and behind bars as of February 2023. The second update is that the 4th Judicial District Court Judge Larry Jefferson dismissed the indictment in Louisiana against Tellus in early November on the basis of information that the state of Mississippi wanted Tellus to serve the five-year sentence for charges relating to the death of Jessica Chambers. The 2nd Circuit Court of Appeals will decide whether Tellus stands trial following his sentence in Mississippi, so there can still be justice in the Louisiana case. But it will be after he has served his sentence in Mississippi. And so now this case is still ongoing, and there is a chance that Jessica's family will get justice in the future, as Quentin may be tried a third time. And so that is the case of Jessica Chambers, and that is why we are still fighting for justice for Jessica. I will put a link to the Justice for Jessica Facebook page in the show notes. And again, thank you to the Clarence Ledger for being an incredible source for me and for all this information. I'm glad that I was able to dive deeper into this case and get the story straight. Thank you guys for joining me on this day trip back to Mississippi. Sabrina and I will see you guys next week with new stories out of Chicago, Illinois. Be sure to like and share this episode wherever you find your podcasts. It's a great way to help us out. Thanks for listening and stay terrified. Ciao!